yeah, yeah. Okay. Yo, Kenny, what's All up, right. dude? Yo, what's happening, Sam? Hey, man, we're coming back for round two of the Humboldt Rescue Case. Uh, it was so exciting that everybody had to go recharge their beers. Yep. And I think uh, they had just done the ILS back to Min's. Yep. And they're about to refuel. So maybe let's just hop back into it and see well, where we're at. Let's hop right back in. All right, guys. Welcome back. I hear the uh, the beer break is complete. What do we got going on over there? What new beers we got? Any updates? Uh, I think most everyone has the same. Uh, I audible to the easy skanking session. <laughs> the easy skanking session. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Nice. Uh, Sam and I, we drank a St. Bernardus Christmas ale, which was at 9.8%. We finished that. We didn't mention it because you guys were giving some good stories. And now we're moving on to the um, Highwire Hazy IPA, but it's got like snowflakes all over. Where's it, so it from? Christmas. Uh, we've had Highwire before. They're up in Asheville. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So let's get this thing going. Uh, hey, before we before we jump back into the questions we were asking you, uh, leaving the scene there and doing the ILS back home, what were there any other things that you wanted to jump on uh, that we didn't uh, hit or highlight for that first attempt? All right, we covered the fact that I was hovering really shitty. No, we, we did. That. All right. Nobody, do we need to, do we need to rehash that? John, just nobody talk about said how that. how horrible it actually was? Nobody actually said that but you. <laughs> As a pro tip, you have to have a reference in order to hover. Yes. Yeah, so it doesn't solve that problem, unfortunately. Agreed. Uh, one thing we did talk through uh, on our way for our retail uh, with uh, I guess one other reason why um, we didn't elect to swap seats. And I think uh, we all kind of had this thought independently. While it was probably worth a conversation as an air crew, and, you know, I will certainly own the fact that, you know, I didn't open that up. Uh, but uh, leaving everybody in the same role um, ensures that we have the same perspective uh, when we went to scene a second time. So the fact that we were all in the same roles, in the same seats, yeah. I think expedited our ability to roll into that second attempt. Cool. I, I was actually, since we're circling back, I had a question that I was thinking about. If in your mind you were like, cool, we're definitely going to change seats, would you have considered um, having the flight mech just put their hands on the cyclic um, to swap that and going with the 3710 caveat of like, hey, by us saving 15, 20 minutes by not shutting down is going to help us save this life. Also considering um, the 6599 mishap that just recently happened with people coming in and out of, you know, an aircraft with the rotor spinning. Um, would you have even considered that, you think? Um, you know, I didn't really think through that uh, okay. in the moment because Honestly, I, I never really thought about swapping seats. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure. I would say, yeah. I think uh, you can. You can certainly, uh, in this case, articulate the value of expediting your return to the scene. But I guess we also were. Uh, we did end up swapping our night sun out. So one other alibi on that. Um, and I think. Um, if if we had had issues with that or something like that, uh, we probably would have ended up 
shutting down. But um, yeah, if uh, if if you're asking me, um, do I think that that would fall under the warranted risk uh, in order to execute that? I would say yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to walk through that mental exercise myself right now. Of like, okay, yeah, I, I think you could. Um, how could we mitigate risk? I don't know. You mm-hmm. could bring them back to, to idle. And you're like, okay, if we do screw something up, like we're not going to leave the ground at this point. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, well, I just lost all my AC power. So now all my MFDs go down, like likelihood of things not firing back up. But um, yeah, just an interesting thought process on, on that one. It's a good thing you mentioned that because yeah. if you do go to idle uh, and you're expecting your hoist camera to come back on, it's not going to come back on. You got to go turn that back uh, on. I see why you love that. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> throw that one in there. Because I've screwed that up many yeah. times. Yeah. Uh, and get your uh, ECS yeah. switch. Yeah. So <laughs> so jumping jumping back into it, right? So you guys bingoed, uh, you said you were bingoing down towards 200 pounds, had to come back in, shoot an ILS. And, and Kenny kind of asked the question or alluded to the fact like, man, like what is the fatigue level at this point? You were doing a completely different and very strenuous mission doing DLQs into coming back hot gas, getting set up to go out to a high hover night vert surface to come back again and try and go back out and do it again. So um, where were you guys sitting as a crew when you came in for that hot gas? Uh, what did you change uh, before you went back out and then and then just kind of start walking us back through it again? I know when we got back in there, after we put the um night sun on there and tested it made sure it was working properly i know that shay got the whole crew together and we talked back through essentially we just recate he had us all recaged and talked through what we need to change this time and and did a risk assessment with everybody mm-hmm. to kind of see where we're at and also check to see if anybody needed a break from the aircraft or or anything like that and i think uh, i asked the question what do we need to make this second attempt successful. Mm-hmm. Just kind of left it open-ended. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of where we ended up on, um, you know, adding more light. So I went to the white lens night sun, uh, working from a lower altitude. Uh, and I think a couple other things, but I'll open it up to the, the rest of the crew. You, you, you also did ask the fatigue question. You, everybody, everybody on board was, yeah, good, yeah, good. And I, when it got to me, I said I'm flustered, just because of the, what I had just experienced. So we did take a take a good, you know, minute to talk, and I think that's what led into like, what do we need to do better mm-hmm. on this next one? How do we solve uh, solve all the problems that we had the first one? And yeah, I think the light was probably the biggest thing that we changed right then. Well, that and you didn't have communication with us yeah. the first time. Yeah. So that was the main frustration, I think, for Nick. He's down there trying to tell us stuff on 83, and we we didn't have communication with him. So we, we made sure that we corrected that. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, your big frustration. Yeah, that's critical. What, what, went, uh, what went wrong? Why weren't you able to talk? I didn't switch up 83 on oh, that failure. I did oh, okay. a lot of other things, and uh, with everything else we had, I did not actively switch over to 83 um, as we had him in the door. Okay. On me, to back up Shay on that, we put our we gave our guard to the uh, sheriff's department. Right. So we were up thirty three because we were using them as our guard. So it's Calcord is like the yeah. local LE yeah. EMS frequency. Yeah. It's by thirty three. Sorry about that. I should have been more Yeah. No. no and and thanks for your thanks for your humility so I, on I that one. Had 
because that that's why we do this, right? So that hopefully someone listens to this and the next time when they're like swimmers like halfway down, you're like, oh shit, I never put up uh, 83. <laughs> yep. Dang. And uh, I'll tell you what, what we ended up running with, um, which was all Nick's idea, um, he stayed on ITS in the door uh-huh. uh, as we were uh, working our way in for our second hoist. Then once the aircraft was over his intended insertion point, um, he switched straight from ICS uh, over to 83 with the, the headset, the pigtail in the mm-hmm. helmet. Yep. Uh, so, so we had him up uh, throughout, um, which I had learned that in the past, but obviously hadn't uh, used that operationally up to this point. And uh, I'll tell you what, that that worked really, really well. Um, we'll hit on that, I think, a little bit as you walk through the that second evolution. Uh, yeah. Did you guys? Nick on that. That that's an awesome point. Um, so before you guys took off uh, for the second sortie, did you guys strip the aircraft down at all, or did you just take a little bit less gas? You stripped down on the first sortie. Oh, yeah, you did. Okay, show, I missed that. Okay. Um, we I think uh, we didn't advertise that. So sorry about that. Uh, we took our raft out, crew raft. Yep. Uh, we also had a conversation about the litter, uh, and we opted to uh, leave that behind. But the basket was in the aircraft. So it, if we needed something, we had it available. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, we're headed back out to the case. Um, John, you elected to not uh, use the same orientation this next time uh talk us through that a little bit where which way were you facing uh and what were your references like that second go around well i'd love to take credit for that but i think that was a combination of uh shay nick and reed saying you know let's try something different and uh also uh shay also helped me to understand that even though i felt like i had a reference uh prior uh, I may have a better reference this time if we parallel uh, to the size of our clip face. Mm-hmm. The big worry for me was that I was going to get over the top of the clip face and have no reference, which I was literally on the line of doing that. There was only one bush sitting on the top, almost hanging over the top side of the cliff. And I had my landing light on that bush and I was looking underneath the goggles. Mm-hmm. And that's literally all I had. And if we had gone any farther to the right, I'd have had nothing um, at that point. Right. But uh, it's more of what we're used to. You know, I, I know that I elected to try to go nose in because I felt like I had a lot of references. Um, but that's not what we're used to training. So I, I think that that uh, was detriment for us. And obviously, we didn't. I didn't have a white light pointing at the reference either. I was looking through my goggles in the corner of the screen. So uh, I can't take credit for that. I, I have to give that to the rest of the crew for sure. Yeah. So we talked about a few things as a crew, um, like while we had while we had references in our original orientation of nose into the cliff, mm-hmm. uh, they were rather they um, they weren't like right right in on the aircraft. They were, you know, uh, there was definitely some lateral separation yeah. between uh the aircraft and those yeah uh, so it's just you know it's hard uh, to hold 
hover when you're looking at something far away. It's just right. a slower, you know, response time. Um, so I think by uh, shifting our orientation, um, you know, we brought the obstacles a little more closer in, uh, but, um, you know, it uh, allowed Jonathan um, the adequate reference that he needed in that uh, that second hoist. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, what I think we had some other uh, looks like we got some other thoughts on that from the air crew as well. The the I think the reason we initially did nose into the cliff was the we suspected uh, wind. I thought it was wind. Because if there was wind, yeah. it was coming from yeah. over the cliff mm. and the power line for the escape. If we needed it. Got it. And how close so were have, the power lines roughly? Or your nearest obstacle, really? Geez, there were high te- there was three sets of power lines. There was a high tension to a the rotor disc or two away. Yeah. Oh, like wow. It was pretty oh. Close. <laughs> um, so that on our on our first hoist, we talked about an escape. And our escape was literally straight uh was literally straight ahead over the cliff, and then we're gonna lose altitude and go land on the highway. Um, you know, Lord knows what's gonna happen to our swimmer throughout that evolution. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have any obstacles at that point off the nose. Um, during the second evolution, the escape was basically to stop uh, with your left foot and just try to let Nick land uh, somewhere on the highway mm-hmm. and then we would uh, kind of execute a running landing under the set of high tension lines that were running across the highway. Uh, so, you know, escape options weren't awesome, um, but at some point in order to, you know, affect the rescue of the individual on the cliff, um, you know, the air crew had to accept that additional risk that sounds like some scott sanborn shit right there like (laughs) hey guys put me in the sim i'm gonna do a uh, i'm gonna stomp on the left pedal do a left pedal 360 auto and land on this road underneath a set of power okay cool bro okay dude totally gonna happen someday (laughs) wow yeah just to be clear i am well aware that i am not scott (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, none of us are yeah Uh, but we've all flown with sanborn or been in a sim or heard about some you know scenario that he'll be like what would you do in here and you're like turns out you know it sounds like you probably have a little sandboard in you like all of us you know yeah man that's that's crazy so you guys um let's step into the hoist here uh and from your perspective reed um kind of walk us through that second for its surface hoist how did it go oh it was uh it was night and day okay from my perspective for sure pun intended (laughs) (laughs) And as far as like for me, the biggest thing was uh, like the communication between me and the swimmer was a lot better. I could see him mm-hmm. a lot better. And our intended approach was kind of like a J to the survivor. Okay. But like Nick was saying, he got down there and it was like, this this is not cool. Like this is a huge crevice here. So we pretty much did like an uppercase G to him. <laughs> So, I'm trying to draw that in the air right oh, now. So you go okay. around him and then <laughs> up, over, and down. Do it. Okay. <laughs> yep. Got it. Yeah. It was like, it was really good at like just kind of getting that, that CRM going of just like, 
oh, he does like he's not liking this. We're gonna go this route to the survivor now. Yeah. So that was huge. And like I said, I could see him a lot better. So like we were able to very nicely get him down to the cliff. But uh yeah, that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, Nick was way more light, way easier to see. Yeah. So reach point on that lighting, uh, we went through uh, in our, I guess what was also our second podcast, we recognized that lighting was an issue on our first attempt. Right. Um, from my short experience at AHARS uh, and, and having, you know, having asked a few folks who had executed a night vertical surface rescue, uh, things that they would recommend by found myself in that same situation. Um, a lot of them advocated for the IR lens, mm-hmm. uh, which I think in our case, um, since in this instance, we needed more white light rather than IR light yeah. for, you know, what we had on scene. Um, so what, uh, we ended up with, um, we spent some time when we arrived on scene the second time um, orienting our night sun to where it would kind of light up uh, the area we expected um, for the hoist itself. Uh, I told Jonathan that his light was for him. Um, one thing we didn't really hit on was at the end of our first, or in that first evolution, um, when the voice was not going as we expected. Um, we were actively trying to adjust our lighting uh, in order to, you know, make it work. Um, and we just were unsuccessful in that. Um, so his light was for him um, to identify and illuminate what he needed to use for a reference. Uh, we oriented the night sun in advance. Um, I just kind of like... Um, you know, hovering on scene there. Um, and then I just had my light basically oriented, you know, straight down under the aircraft mm. and uh, whatever extra illumination um, it was able to add into that mix. Uh, and that seemed to work for us for the second half of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Nick, from your perspective, man, how was the walk? Uh, it was. I like the you pause. Know, it was dramatic. <laughs> very different than what I was expecting to have to do. Okay. Because we got the point that we hit on the second one was, you know, within you know two feet of the our discussed insertion point. Nailed uh, it. Awesome. We nailed it. Yeah. And but when I got there, I was like, "This is not what we saw from the sky." That if I go the way we plan to go, it's, there's five foot tunnels of jagged rock sticking out. Like I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't safely go the the way we went. Right. And I was also standing on the kind of scaly rock that we had seen from the sky and could see what direction if one fell, it would go. And it was kind of away from the guy. So I was able to kind of go down this like river of scaly rocks that was kind of going away from him, which is the top of the G and right. then back up and around. So, was, you know, a good spiral, good long walk. And, it, and Reed did a great job at, um, the audible without even talking about it, just following what I, my hand signals were. Yeah. Even though they were going opposite of what we had originally discussed. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge game changer. Yeah. So, Nick, how was your interaction with um, the survivor once you got to him? And then how was the rotor wash once you were directly over top of the person? Just um, I just asked that question because I know you guys had talked about, um, hey, what altitude should we get? And uh, Commander Quinn kept saying, like, hey, I want to get as low as we possibly can. Jay, thank you. Oh, Jay. sorry, sorry yeah. about that. That slipped out there. Yeah, sorry. Um, Jay, I uh, was like, hey, I want to get as, as low as we, <laughs> as low as we can there. So, um, yeah, how, how'd that go once you actually got there? So I didn't actually have any sort of conversation with him. I just gave him a thumbs up, and he gave me a thumbs up back. Okay. He, was, he was standing pretty well. He wasn't actually, I mean, obviously, okay. after 10 hours, he wasn't clinging to the cliff, but he was on a small ledge but uh i gave him a thumbs up he gave me a thumbs up back and the rotor wash was there but not wild okay so it, it, every, everything that we had learned from the first one kind of gave us the ability to be safe on the second one good because it, it it brings me back shay when you were talking about um hey this person got themselves there on this cliff like we didn't do that um but here you guys are and th- and this is really where the rubber hits the road for me and that like okay if if we get too low and we knock this person off like we just killed them as opposed to no we're the only people here that can can make a rescue and in order for us to do it safely and not bring on uh, additional risk for our crew like we need to be a little bit lower so that um we can see the hand signals um and, and make this evolution go especially when like you guys said hey we went with here's our plan and then the second um nick you know, you're on the cliff face. You're like, oh, completely abort the plan. Here's the new one. Mm. Um, and so it sounds like you guys did an, an excellent job. And that's just kudos to you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, on the second one, we kind of did a step down. We step down, step in, step down, step in, just to make sure we didn't put rotor wash directly on him before yeah. we even started the hoist. Yeah. So we, we came in uh, for our second attempt at the same altitude MSL-wise. Um, that we had been looking at for our first attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, essentially just asked Jonathan to slowly lower our altitude. And I was asking Reed to let us know when our rotor wash started interacting with um, some of the objects um, that were kind of at, like, you know, um, the very that were on the very top of the vertical surface and once we identified that altitude uh we came up a bit um and that was kind of kind of where we ran the hoist from uh so that was our way to you know find that line in the middle where uh from what we knew uh we weren't exposing this individual to um, a whole lot of additional risk, uh, but we were at the lowest altitude at which our rotor wash would allow um, for the hoist. Gotcha. Yeah. What what kind of pickup did you do, Nick? Uh, I just did. A, I used the quick strap. Nice. Facing away, I just wrapped it around him. Yep. Any issues with uh, getting off the cliff? Or pretty pretty seamless at that point. Yeah, it was it was pretty seamless at that point. The um, I elected not to use the cross strap, even though it says that we're supposed to, just based on the difficulty of the hover. I, I just didn't want to waste any more time on the actual cliff. Yeah. And I was, he was a young guy, maybe 
150, 140 pounds, little guy. He, he didn't have a, a athletic build. He didn't have a lot of weight to hold up. So I, I kind of, I figured he'd be fine. Even if he did pass out, I had him mm-hmm. locked in with my legs. Yeah. Um, coming off the cliff, we're good. And then it, we had to, uh, I was like probably another 100 feet up above the, the cars. So we had to hoist me down another 100 feet. So we ended up getting another swing at that point. And then the dust, uh, we, we had a potential brownout. Uh, so when we came, uh, when we walked through this, at least uh, for all of you listeners, yeah. all of you listeners out there, um, we looked at the scene and going into second evolution, uh, we intended to execute a short haul. Uh, so once we had the individual hop, we were yep. just going to lower them, uh, you know, down to the EMS uh-huh. at the bottom of the cliff. Okay. Um, when we slid left away from the cliff, the rat out was reading probably about 275 feet. So we knew uh, we had to lower the aircraft uh, in order to, you know, get this individual on the ground. Uh, so uh, things got interesting um as we went through that short haul yeah yeah ex- expand what what happened beside I me mean, i heard i briefly heard brown out and uh swing so both of those don't sound great so Reed, at the same wanna, time they're even worse yeah. and then the power lines all around the, oh the yeah place. just an easy so what, what easy day like all around 200 by 300 feet with a 50 foot swing and trying to get on the ground it was uh Sporty, yeah. <laughs> we tried. We tried to get the the crew to move their vehicles kind of like under the power lines and also shine their lights in the middle, so we had the best spot to kind of go to and bring this guy down. Yeah, but they didn't really understand what the heck we were saying, so they just moved the car. I don't know what the heck they moved, not in the right spot. Yeah, and then we pushed. Uh, Reed was kind of me over, and then once uh, we got to a good spot. We started coming down, and I had a, a cell phone pole with my reference. And then we just went right into brownout, and everything essentially disappeared. Um, well, Reed, you, yeah. yeah, so we were lowering Nick, and it kind of goes into what we were saying before, how he brought the pigtail with him, right. as a, which was a huge plus for us because he had that. And he had a – it wasn't – I wouldn't say crazy, but he had a good swing going. And we were kind of – like I told the crew, like – we. Swimmer and Survivor have a pretty good swing. And it was almost like he heard me talking. He, over the radio, goes, like, just put me down with the swing. Okay. So, like, as we're putting him down with the swing, we start, as we're going down, we're getting a little brown out. I'm, I'm not being able to see the, the surface where we're putting him down. So I kind of just slowed it down, the, the descent, so that hopefully he can just scrape his foot along the ground to, to halt his swing. Dang. But yeah, that was a huge obstacle as far as getting him on the ground safely. What happened? Nick, what happened? How'd you get down? Uh, I mean, they just put me on the ground and I was expect I was fully expecting both of us to fall and tumble, but somehow uh, it was just me. <laughs> Got it. The, the guy ended up stand- just standing up and I kind of pushed him in the opposite direction to try to help him, but I ended up taking a bit of a tumble. Not, nothing crazy, just because just I was trying to 
guard him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing you just disconnected as quick as you could after that. And, uh, yep. so they could another thumbs up and I was gone. <laughs> Dang. I didn't realize that you guys had lowered him and, and then browned out, uh, subsequently after that. That's, that's wild. That's not an easy way uh, to end what was probably a very stressful evening of, uh, hovering there. Yeah, we, uh, so we initially started lowering the aircraft, uh, and then, uh, obviously we started losing our references, um, as right at the time we had that swing, uh, we started a climb to try to arrest some of that swing, uh-huh. um, and then we even, uh, tried, like, working the aircraft, um, to kind of line up with the swing. Um, we were somewhat limited what we were able to do just because of the area that we were trying to, uh, you know, lower them into. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of that, uh, as you heard, was relatively unsuccessful. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, his ability to let us know over the radio that he was okay um, with the swing that he had um, really helped us out. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so uh, I'm guessing you, Nick, did they leave you on scene or did they pick you back up and you guys went back? What? Yeah, I just I left the guy uh, on the ground with the EMS there and I just I went back up to the helicopter. Okay, gotcha. Nice. I'd um, say to, hi- to highlight as far as Nick goes, the amount of uh, the amount that he stepped up and. Uh, worked with Reed as far as where he was going to go in and what the options were. And then his communication on the hoist hook uh, were instrumental. We were really fighting. I mean, Reed and I are both trying to work together, of course, and we're all trying to eliminate this swing while we're dealing with Brian out. And I've only got this telephone pole as a reference that's disappearing on me. And if Nick hadn't said, hey, I'm happy with the swing, we would have been struggling for a while. And that's my personal opinion. Yeah. So that was it. That was a huge component. Yeah, that was a huge component and such a uh, relief, I think, for all of us when to say, I'm good, just put me down. Yeah. yeah. And having the uh, the ability to say that on the radio while that's happening and you're trying to hold on to somebody, uh, that's yeah. impressive, Nick. That's awesome. That, and to, for him to know what we were fighting with, right? So, so he wasn't on internal comms. He was on 83. So he had to be able to know that all right, they're trying to arrest the swing right now. That's why they're screwing around, essentially, up there. Yep. You know, I mean, so he had to have the forethought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did have the forethought to know that this pilot that couldn't hover the first time and this uh, flight mech that it's the first time doing uh, vertical surface are screwing around up there when I'm just trying to get down on the yeah. ground. And he knew enough to come up on 83 and say, Hey, I'm ha- I'm cool with the swing. Just put me down, or you know, whatever your words were. I think just, I think I said just get me on the ground. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was worried about the wires. Uh, you know, from where I sat, um, you know, having the ability to use the Echo's voice cam and like look underneath us. Uh, certainly hard to see, uh, but from from where I was able to identify the hazards. Um, yeah, uh, it was exciting than that. So. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Did you guys have to finish with an ILS back home? Or <laughs> had it cleared up at that point? Uh, no, we had one more ILS to do. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> are you, you guys are yeah. used to that 
uh, probably being out in Humboldt, but um, I don't know. There's a lot of air crews, you know, that, uh, you know, doing an ILS to men's in and of itself is a challenging, stressful, uh, stressful evolution. Um, So awesome. That, yeah, dude. This what, case, a, what an this, awesome case, guys. Yeah, this case is awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, sharing uh, all of the, the tips and tricks that made it happen successfully, uh, your failures, uh, successes throughout. Man, it's really, really appreciate you kind of sharing that insight with the rest of the fleet. It's awesome. Yeah, I've got, I got one more question uh, for you guys before we close. A lot of West Coast units kind of toy around with the idea of like, hey, should we be practicing night vert surface? Um, having gone through what you guys just did on this case, do you think that is a worthwhile pursuit? So I think Humboldt has had, uh, we were, we were discussing this beforehand. We were thinking possibly three night surface cases, but one of them was our, the side of the mountain rescue with the two firefighters with the, I mean, epic story, right? With the fire and all that. I know you guys covered it. So I think we've had for sure two night bird surface rescues. Mm-hmm. in humble area last few years at least and yeah. now uh, you know over the years we've had a few others I don't know how many we've actually had but uh, yeah, there's a few up here for sure yeah my short he had one short four years now with all yeah. shout out to Was Van Dye, I don't know if Van Dye was four pilot mm-hmm. no, um, nobody cares but, about Van Dye. yeah yeah he's, <laughs> he's <done>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are you what are you guys in the ops department I'm just a lowly uh, I know as far as like the last few weeks, we actually have been going out at night and scoping out a few spots to do night vertical surface training. Like the CO and a couple of our FEB members all went out, checked one out, and it it sounds promising that we might look into making it a a training option yeah. for us. I could be wrong. I think North Bend is doing it. I want to say Air Station North Bend is doing it. So yeah. Um, um, and I, you know, kind of ask them for how they run it, and I would say at the FEB level, at least at this point, uh, we're actually looking at that. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a valuable uh, endeavor, even if you don't. We the, we have a Green Diamond Land where they have a few uh, rock mining areas where they basically just make a vertical surface with tiers on it and it's kind of a perfect place to practice walking and kind of go around stuff um, and we've been kind of been talking about not even bringing a dummy and just walking a bunch of different clips that they've created and just do do more route planning and obstacle avoidance rather than just the, the dummy itself <laughs> so yeah i think it, i do think it's valuable yeah cool um Hey guys, once again, thanks for coming on and, uh, being humble and sharing your experiences. And, uh, we like to end every episode with sharing some piece of aviation advice that you've got at some point along your career. So, um, Nick, let's, let's start with you, man. You got any advice for our listeners out there? The, I mean, this case in particular, the thing that, uh, kind of, we, if we could, could have done anything better. Slow, slow, smooth, smooth as fast. If mm-hmm. we had kind of reset earlier at the beginning, maybe we would have had another chance to, to do it. But I think I think that just just some uh, thing that someone told me at eight school <laughs> ago. Yeah, yeah. Slow, smooth, smooth as fast. Yeah. What about you, Reed? Anything that uh, you want to pass to our listeners? Your free shot of fame. I mean, it, 
I'd say as a brand new flight mech, it's it's easy to think that you're kind of like the lower man on the totem pole at times. But I mean, it's it's a totally equal cockpit. So I mean, just making your voice heard is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're like, that's a big thing I took from like, I wish I would have spoke up maybe a little sooner. Like, hey, I'm not seeing that the, the swimmer signal. Like, I I think I that's a big takeaway for me. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you're the only one that can make that call, right? Mm-hmm. You're the Absolutely. only one that's looking down there. You're the only one that's been trained to make that call to say, hey, this is unsafe. That's awesome. Yep. Doesn't matter experience level. Speak up. Absolutely. John, what you got for us? I'd say take the time to reevaluate your reference. You may think that you have a good reference. You may think that you're hovering well, um, but you need to engage your crew and see if you are or are not. You know, I, I thought that I was – you know, doing my damnness to try to hold a good hover. And I had a reference that was, you know, maybe one bridge line away and the perfect, you know, Christmas tree in that corner under goggles. And I, I thought I was holding well, but I was all over the place. And then to have uh, Shay, you know, talk about uh, talk about changing the, the, the whole position how we're set up and having a reference very close to me that I was looking at with a white light not under the goggles and having that reference there. I mean, the guys will tell you it was a nine day difference. Um, almost as if we switched pilots out Yeah. Uh, for the second hoist. And, 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 you know, even though you think you're you've got a lot of experience and you can cover the aircraft, you know, you don't want to be there letting the team down because you feel like you have a good reference and you, you didn't take the time to evaluate it well enough. You need to reach out to the crew and say, Hey guys, how am I doing? And don't just assume that you're, that you're, you know, holding something uh, steady for them. Yeah, yeah. it's a awesome, great man. point. Thanks. Uh, Commander Quinn? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure where Daddy. that is. Daddy. Uh, <laughs> what you got Who are you referring? I'm sorry. There's no Commander Quinn present. <laughs> what you got, Shay? Um, as I thought about this, uh, you know, everything's running around. Uh, I guess, ironically, I default to uh, what Scott Sanborn uh, said for mm-hmm. a long time. Safe, aggressive training saves lives. Uh, and also say that, but I guess what I mean by that as a, an individual, um, when you're going out on your routine, your routine training flight, challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, try something um, that, you know, Maybe you haven't, um, or, you know, you feel like you're a little bit rusty on, um, to increase your overall experience envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, just to use this as an example, um, I think the, you know, the more you can increase your experience envelope, the more tools, uh, you will have available, mm-hmm. um, when you, you know, find yourself uh, in a new situation. Um, and also a, uh, just as like a side effect of that. Uh, I think you, uh, by always trying new things, it forces you, uh, for each evolution to, um, really exercise your on scene analysis of how do you need to set this aircraft up to safely affect a rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you link that back to kind of what we went through earlier in the episode, 
you're showing up to the same site and you are always hoisting with the same orientation at the same altitude in the same way, you're really, you know, robbing yourself of the opportunity um, to increase your experience. I really like that. Thanks, Shay. And thank you to, to all you guys. Uh, appreciate your time here. And uh, once again, a, a crazy case from Air Station Humboldt. You guys have some wild uh, cliff rescues out there and other cases as well. So uh, thanks for standing the SAR duty and, and you guys stay safe. Likewise. All right. We'll see you guys. Wow. Kenny. What a case, huh? I mean, that was quite a SAR case, dude. That was that was exciting to listen to. And it happened to go through four delicious holiday yeah. beers. What was the uh, last one that we cracked the last up in one, there? Hold on. The last one, I didn't want to interrupt him. The Fat Bottom Noel Spice Christmas Hill. We polished that one off pretty quick. I like that. Um, what I really like, too, uh, that I wanted to one more time highlight that Commander Shea Quinn said at the end there, um, aggressive safe training saves lives, right? And so we've heard Scott Sanborn say that a million times. We've heard uh, Captain Christopher J, aka Midas Touch Halzer, say that quite often as well. Um, and I think that has a lot of value, right? Like get out there, get training into some sort of situation that you feel comfortable in normally, and then yep. like take it up a notch, you know, kick off the yacht channel for whatever uh, evolution that might be, or go out and, I don't know, do an AFCS off, no gyro yeah. something kind of yeah. approach but two trail lines together like cool could we just get a trail line to this boat from 200 feet if we had to tonight you know absolutely i, I love it man I, I i really do and um like i alluded to a couple times during this episode um this is what gets me excited yeah um is hearing about crews that are deviating from the normal training rut and applying 3710 and the training that they've gotten to go out and effect a rescue on a night where they were the only ones, they were the only people that were trained and qualified to go get that person off the cliff and they did it. They did. And bravo Zulu, man. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they faced adversity and didn't do it the first time and they came back and they regrouped as a crew Yeah, and they went back out and they successfully saved that guy. Love it, dude. And they had a brownout at the end. Like nobody, nobody likes to want to have a brownout. Brownouts yeah. are not fun, dude. Yeah. Uh, all right, dude. Well, uh, you have a wonderful holiday season and same to everybody else out there. So with that said, we say goodbye, but now